0: you're listening to the tri-state community church podcast a ministry of the associate Reformed presbyterian church located in the greater pittsburgh metropolitan area for more information including service times please visit us at facebook.com forward slash tri-state reformed church well, i invite you to return to john 18 we're going to pick up where we left off last time this should be with verse twenty-eight and read through the remaining part of the chapter. It's our goal to get through the chapter this morning. John chapter eighteen, beginning with verse twenty-eight. John chapter eighteen, verse twenty-eight. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but he could eat. But could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, "'So you are a king?' And Jesus answered, "'You say that I'm a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice.' Pilate said to him, "'What is truth?' And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, "'I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?' And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing as we seek to study and understand this portion of your holy and sacred word. Father, with this prayer, we we desire very much to recognize that if there is any prophet that is eternal to come to each one of us this morning, that it must come from your hand that you must lead us, that you must open our hearts, that you must bless us. And, Father, we're of good cheer because we know it is it is your good pleasure to show us your glory and to show us your truth and to lead us in it. So, Father, we ask that you'd be pleased to do this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. For the benefit of those who are visiting with us this morning, we typically... Um, work our way through the books we start in a given biblical book we start with chapter one verse one and we just work our way through the book and that's probably 95 percent of the preaching and teaching that takes place here on sunday mornings we do do topical The topical work is uh, when when circumstances call for it. But we have been studying John's gospel now for quite a long time, quite a few months. And we have been following Jesus into the upper room. We have uh, followed him out of the upper room and into the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have followed him through his arrest. And last week, beginning with verse 12 of chapter 18, we saw that Jesus is brought before Annas, And just as a matter of review, uh, that is a puzzling thing to, to us. Uh, why would Jesus be brought before Annas when Caiaphas is the high priest? And of course, the answer to that's not really, uh, too difficult. Uh, sometimes, uh, the real ringleader is not the one with the official title. Is that correct? That's often the case, and and I think we can see that very clearly from the pages of the New Testament. Annas was high priest from 6 AD to approximately 15 AD, uh, but even after being defrocked uh, by Gratus, he continued to exercise powerful influence among the Sanhedrin, which was this the equivalent of the Supreme Court of that day for the Jewish people. And it's uh, because of this, I think that's the reason why we find as soon as Jesus is arrested in the garden, we find him being taken to Annas uh, before he is taken to Caiaphas. And Caiaphas, by the way, is Annas' son-in-law. And uh, Annas has no, no less than five sons who occupies the office of high priest. And again, we scratch our head and say, wait a second, I I think I remember the Old Testament. I think we remember, wasn't the high priest, high priest for life? And according to Jewish law, that is correct. Correct. Uh, But the Romans were often interfering in that, appointing and defrocking, appointing and defrocking these various high priests. And we can see how that would just be one item there that would really get under the skin of the Jewish people. More about that if we have time this morning. But we find Jesus before, uh, before Annas... And last week we saw an interplay between two scenes. It's kind of like watching a movie where you see one scene. It develops a little bit. Then you're taken to another scene. It develops a little bit, and then it goes back and forth. We're used to that kind of thing, and that is the device that John is using here in chapter 18. Jesus goes before Annas, and then we see that develop a little bit, and then we see Peter before those who are standing by in the courtyard, then back to Jesus, then back to Peter. And that was last week, wasn't it? Some of you heard that message, maybe recall that. And there we see Jesus being 100% faithful to his task, don't we? 100% faithful to his task. But we saw Peter uh, very much failing at his task, didn't we? And we see Peter, just as Jesus said, Jesus said Peter would deny him three times that night. And we find Peter doing that. And we took a little look at that. You know, what happened? And sometimes it's this place where a straight line is drawn from John 13, where Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to depart. I'm going to leave. And where I'm going, you can't come. And we see the tension and anxiety that creates amongst the disciples. And Peter says, listen, I'm going with you. Even if it costs me my life, I'm going with you. And a lot of times a straight line is drawn from Peter saying those words to Peter denying Jesus in the garden or in the, in the uh, priest's court. But we forget that in the garden of Gethsemane, Peter did draw his sword, didn't he? Peter did draw his sword in the garden of Gethsemane. And last week we saw that there were probably no less than 200 soldiers in the garden, armed soldiers. There could have been as many as 600 in the garden. Armed, trained soldiers, a combination of, of Roman soldiers and temple police and Peter draws his sword. He's making good on his promise. I mean, obviously he's outnumbered. That probably wouldn't have ended well for him. And we sometimes forget that. So what's this all about? And last week we saw that this is about self-confidence. What happens to Peter? Why is he so brave in the garden and then crumble before the servant girl? That's the way, that's the nature of self-confidence, isn't it? We can be brave, so brave and one moment and then we just absolutely crumble the next and as g and as peter is denying jesus repeatedly the lord is loving peter and he's working in his life to rid him of that self-confidence making him more and more like jesus You just see the amazing grace of God, don't you? And this brings us to verse 24, where we see that Annas then sends Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest, the one who actually has the title of high priest. John doesn't record the proceedings that go on there. The other gospel writers do. Uh, John takes us straight to uh, verse 28 there. He takes us straight to Jesus before uh, Pilate. And if you look at verse 28, the beginning of our text this morning, Uh, We're told that they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, and it was early morning. We don't know what time it is, and I'll tell you the commentaries, they sometimes try to determine what time was it, what time was it, and if you've ever... If you ever have any trouble with insomnia, uh, this is a good way to go to sleep. Start reading some of those arguments. You'll be happy to know I'm not going to take you through them. I don't remember them. In fact, I caught myself falling asleep trying to sort some of them out. Is it just good enough for us to know that it was really early in the morning? That's what the text says, right? I was convinced that's what it was when I began, and I'm still convinced it was early in the morning. Good enough, right? Uh, Not that these things are unimportant, but one interesting detail about this I'll have you to know is that... Many of the ancient rulers, Roman rulers, including some of the emperors, started their day so early that sometimes they were done by noon with a day's work. So they often started very early. And, of course, these high priests are making use of that. They're scrambling to try to get Jesus crucified um, so they can get back to the Passover proceedings. So they bring Jesus to the governor's headquarters. It's early in the morning. But there's a detail in verse 28 we need to spend a little bit of time with. When you look there at the second part of verse 28, we're told that they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled and could eat the Passover. (laughs) I'm just looking for facial expressions right now, and I see a couple, and I see you're getting it already These characters are doing everything they can to try to crucify the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and they're concerned about entering the governor's headquarters for fear of being defiled by being in a Gentile's house. I want to talk about irony. That's the picture. But before we move on from that, let's think about this for a minute because... Strangely, this is more commonplace than what we realize. Uh, I've been toying with an illustration that illustrates this real well, and I, wanted, I want to use this illustration really carefully because I don't want to sound like I'm speaking disparagingly about, about an old friend of mine. You know, years and years ago, uh, I used to work as a field technician. And um, I can remember when I first started working. We we spent what um, a lot of musicians will say we spent a lot of windshield time together. In other words, we spent a lot of time in a truck driving around. I got to know him really well, and I loved. I absolutely loved working with this guy. We got to be really, really good friends. He was a real. He was a real character, and he is what he is what we would call a party animal. Exactly is what he was. And as I got to know him, and as wintertime came in, I saw he he had. Just he lived to go to Seven Springs and ski and and do that whole thing, and he would come back with some of the craziest stories. And first, I thought he's making this stuff up until I got to know some of his friends and found out no, he's not making any of this up. Um, just a wild man. But I loved working with him because he he always wanted to do everything right. There was never any tension there, and we um, I, I loved to work with him. But come spring of that first year, it's about it's on a Friday. And it's about lunchtime, and he says to me, Are you hungry? I'm like, yeah. We're driving through New Brighton. He says, where do you want to get something to eat? I'm still a teenager. I'm 19 years old. You know, the hot dog shop didn't faze me. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't faze me. I'm like, we're, we're right in front of the hot dog shop. Let's do the hot dog shop. That was a common place for us, you know, It's your chili fries and two dogs, you know, thing. Chocolate malt, we could do it all, not gain an ounce. Man, it was great. Um, and not have all those, you know, you know, all that stuff, you know. We didn't have any of that. I know to us, a lot of us now, we can't do it, can we? Well, I figured that'd be a big hit. I knew he loved the place. I said, come on, let's go into, let's go into the hot dog shop. And he went, what? What are you talking about? It's Friday. I'm thinking, okay, it's Friday. Uh, Help me out here a little bit. He goes, you don't eat meat on Friday. Okay, (laughs) well... You, 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 you choose. (laughs) I didn't want to offend him. We'll eat wherever you want to eat. And he's talking about how you give things up, you know, for this period of time. And you sacrifice. You make this sacrifice. So we end up at this place in Rochester. And he orders a fish sandwich, so I thought, well, I'll just, hey, listen, whatever he's having, I'll have. I don't want to, you know, I want to keep peace over this issue. About 15 minutes after we order, out comes a fish sandwich. I'm not kidding you. Dwarf the plate. This fish sandwich was this long on this big Italian sour. I'm not trying to make everyone hungry, but the good news is there's food back there. But this big Italian sourdough bun with fish sticking out either end of it, And one bite of that, I'm thinking, you know what? We should make this sacrifice year-round. Every Friday, let's come here and eat this fish sandwich. That's what I'm thinking. But as I got to know them better, but but you can see where the point's going. Both of us were living lives at that time. I'm not throwing any rocks in him. I love this man. And he has calmed down quite a bit since those days. Both of us were leading lives that were opposed in really every possible way—not every possible way, but for all practical purposes, we were leading lives that were opposed to Jesus. Yet you can still see there are these scruples which we think, you know, that the, the the what are what are the high priests doing? We can't enter Pilate's house. There's Gentiles in there. We'll get defiled if we go in there. We want to get back to the Passover. In the meantime, they're leading Jesus doing everything they can to destroy him, to lead him to a crucifixion, an awful death. But this is the nature of the fallen human heart, isn't it? Now, we don't think of it that way. We think of it more like this. Well, I don't really have anything against Jesus as long as Jesus is out doing whatever it is Jesus does. But this is my life, and I want to run it my way. And I think you can see that's a close cousin to what the chief priests and the high priests are doing here, isn't it? Both parties want rid of Jesus. That's the nature of unbelief. We want rid of Jesus. Unbelief is not just a little bit off. It is actually at enmity uh, with God. Now, if you look at verse 29, there you see Pilate went outside to meet them. He obliges their scruples. He comes outside to meet them. And he says in verse 29, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, Pilate undoubtedly knows many of the details that's going on here. After all, they had a, um, a a group, probably a large group, of Roman soldiers. That would have had to have gone past Pilate's desk. And what are they doing in there? Why is Pilate even there? It's because of the Passover. They increased their military presence during the Passover because the, the city would fill up uh, with pilgrims. So Pilate knows what's going on, but he is beginning the proceeding. You know, that's a formality. What accusation do you bring against this man? And look at the way they answer in verse 30. They say, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. <laughs> I mean, try to imagine, you know, um, a prosecution bringing, a, bringing someone before a judge, and then the judge say, well, what charge do you bring against this person? Listen, man, we wouldn't be here if he didn't do something, Right? That's the kind of trial that Jesus has been having all night here. Um, that kind of trial. Now, you know, Pilate is rubbing their nose in something, though. We need to, we need to understand there is no love between the high priest and Pilate. Pilate is rubbing their nose in it. Look in verse 31. Pilate says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And they respond by saying, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, this would be a sore subject. The the lawfulness of imposing capital punishment had been taken away from the Sanhedrin. The Romans took it away. They kept that for themselves. I think if my memory serves it right, historically, right around 6 A.D., they do this. And this is a sore subject. The Romans would often allow a lot of their, their, um, their subjects, if you will, to carry on according to their customs, according to their laws and stuff. But there were some things they took away. And this also had to be a burr under their saddle. If they could have crucified Jesus or if they could have destroyed Jesus on their own, they would have already done it. There is no love between the high priests and Pilate here. And they're only in front of Pilate in the wee hours of the morning here because they want Jesus crucified. And Pilate is making, he is rubbing their nose in it. Pilate was a brutal guy. He was a brutal man. Some of you will be familiar with Luke 13, where we're told that Pilate mingled the blood of people with their sacrifices, and we don't know much about that particular event, only what we have in Luke 13, but something brutal happened, and Pilate ends up, it ends up being his demise, if you will, but at any rate... Uh, In verse 32, we're told that this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show about what kind of death he was going to die. And in chapter 12, we don't need to turn there, but back in chapter 12, verse 31, 32, and 33, Jesus makes it clear. Uh, that when the Son of Man is lifted up, he speaks about being lifted up, and he makes it clear what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. If you just look at verse 4 of chapter 18 there, you see that Jesus knew all that would happen to him. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Imagine carrying that around. You know, we don't know what's going to happen to us around life's next bend, do we? But imagine if you did. You could have no peace in this life, could you? But Jesus is carrying this. He knows full well that uh, soon, in fact, in this chapter, within hours, he's going to be hanging on a cross, suffering the anguish of God's wrath for those who he's come to save. He knew that. He carried that. Why did he do that? For love for you and love for me. It's just amazing, isn't it? Now, if we go back, to verse, go back to chapter 18, verse 33, Pilate enters his headquarters. He calls Jesus and says to him, Are you king of the Jews? Now, here's proof positive that um, Pilate knew a lot more about what was going on than what is suggested with verse 29. He says, Are you king of the Jews? Now, what's the king of the Jews stuff all about? Well, John doesn't record the proceedings of Jesus before Caiaphas, but we know from the other Gospels Matthew, Mark and Luke, that when Jesus goes before uh, the sanhedrin, that he is ultimately charged with blasphemy. The chief priest couldn't get anywhere with him, and finally he says, "Listen, tell me, are you the Son of the God? Are you the Son of God? Are you the Christ?" And Jesus says, "From now on you'll see me on the, on the, le- on the right side of the power most High, coming with the clouds." And what is that? That is a that is a direct reference to Daniel seven thirteen and 14 where Daniel in his vision sees one like a son of man coming to the Ancient of Days. We sometimes sing a song called Ancient of Days that is a, really a, about that particular verse. Jesus, the son of man, comes and approaches the Ancient of Days and there he is crowned with all authority and, and heaven and earth. And the chief priests get it and they tear their clothes and they say, what more do we have? He has committed blasphemy and they charge him with blasphemy. Now, that's a capital crime on the law books of the Jewish uh, community, but the Romans could care less about that. That's not going to get Jesus crucified by Roman authority. So what do they do? They trump up an insurrection charge, and they say that Jesus is leading an insurrection. They say that Jesus is attempting to usurp the power of the emperor, and that's why they're bringing uh, Jesus before Pilate. And Pilate says to Jesus, are you king of the Jews? And notice how Jesus answers. It's really curious the way he answers. He says, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? <laughs> the first thing we want to we point out here is suddenly this interrogation's gone sideways. Pilate's, at this point in time, Pilate has to be standing back and saying, what in the world is this? Because in this instant, Pilate is no longer the one doing the interrogating. It is Jesus who is doing the interrogating. It is Jesus who is asking the questions. And before Jesus can answer his question, Jesus has a question for Pilate. Is this coming from you, Pilate, or are you simply aping what you've heard? What's the difference? Well, the difference is perhaps Pilate has heard the many stories of Jesus, heard his witness, heard about his miracles, heard about uh, calming the storm and raising the dead and, and et cetera, et cetera, and heard about the kingdom of God and heard about all these things. And he's curious, kind of like Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night and asking him questions. Perhaps that's where Pilate is coming from. Make no mistake about it. Jesus knows Pilate's heart. He knows where Pilate is. These questions are being asked for Pilate's benefit. And what we see here is Jesus is reaching out to Pilate. It's really clear. Jesus is reaching out to Pilate here. And he needs to know. Because if Pilate, if Pilate is trying to sort this out, if he's trying to sort this out the way Nicodemus is trying to sort this out, then Jesus, the answer to Jesus' question is, yes, I am king of the Jews. But if Pilate is simply bringing the charges that have been brought against him, then the answer is no. Do do you understand what I'm trying to communicate? Jesus is king, but not the kind of king that he's being charged with. Jesus is not trying to lead an insurrection against the Roman authorities. That's not what he's doing. But make no mistake about it. He's king of the universe. And notice how Pilate uh, responds. Pilate answers, Am I a Jew? It's hard to tell whether Pilate is being if he's if he's being if he's jesting or being wistful. It's really hard to tell the difference. Uh, maybe both. But he says, Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? I think what Pilate is doing here now is saying, listen, I think at this point he already realizes there's something really, really wrong here. This is wrong from start to finish. And he wants to know, as often the case, sometimes there's something deeper that will come out with just a few more questions. And I think that's what he's looking for. Come on, Jesus, what have you done? What have you done? Jesus answers in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not have delivered over to, be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. And you remember last week, when they co- or two weeks ago, when they come into the garden to arrest Jesus, they come in armed with lanterns and torches and weapons, heavily armed. And what are they expecting? They're expecting Jesus to be in hiding. They're expecting resistance. And what happens when they come into the garden? Jesus steps forward and introduces himself to them. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy you're looking for. And literally, basically, just holds his hands out so that he can be apprehended. Now, I can't think for a moment this has escaped Pilate's notice. If Pilate has ordered this band of soldiers to go apprehend Jesus, certainly he wants some kind of detail given to him afterwards. He certainly wants some kind of appraisal of the events that have taken place. And can you imagine? Okay, did did anybody get lost? No, 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 no. nobody's lost. Nobody's injured. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. We went into the garden. He had places to hide. And, um, you know, the funny thing is he stepped forward and introduced himself. What? And Jesus is making clear. He says, listen, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom of this world, I'd be doing what the kings of this world do. I'd be fighting. I'd have to have an army. Who could be king without an army? Then Pilate says to him in verse 37, so you are a king. And then Jesus says to Pilate, you say that I am. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Don't, don't read over that. I can't tell you how many times I've read over that and not paused on that because there's a moment right here, and it is the moment. It is the moment. I don't know what ultimately happens to Pilate, but what I do know is Pilate has made it into the Apostles' Creed. And generally speaking, on Sunday morning, we recite the Apostles' Creed, don't we? And we always say something like, suffered under what? He made the grade. And here he has a moment. Jesus has given him a moment. He's giving him a moment. Notice what he says. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So what about you, Pilate? You're going to be of the truth? (laughs) Jesus had, Pilate had Jesus right in front of him. He could have spent all day talking to Jesus. What does Pilate do? Verse 38, what is truth? And after he'd said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. And Pilate has a plan. You want to talk about self-confidence. We got self-confidence going here. And self-confidence, it's the enemy. It's just the enemy of kingdom life. Pilate's taking manners in his own hands, and he's got his own idea. He's going to get Jesus off the hook. Notice what Pilate does. In verse 38, he says, I find no guilt in him. But then in verse 39, he points to a custom that he has of releasing someone for them at Passover time. And he says, you have a custom in verse 39 that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And this, this is the wisdom of men. Notice what Pilate is doing. He's trying to get Jesus out. I think it's very clear. Pilate doesn't want anything to do with this. Pilate doesn't believe that Jesus has done anything wrong. Pilate believes that it's out of envy that he's being brought before him. And Pilate wants to get him off the hook, but Pilate has already blown it. He says, I find no guilt in him, and he should have let him go right then and there. But instead he says, I can release for you someone. But when he says, I can release for you for someone, what is he implying? He's given them a choice between Jesus and some other charged criminal, isn't he? I think what he was counting on was some sympathies from the crowd. Surely they're not going to. Surely the crowd's not going to go along with this. This is just the chief priests. What Pilate underestimates is it's really not so much the chief priests as it is the unbelieving, fallen human heart. It's the unbelieving, fallen human heart, which they're all in possession of. Who do you want me to release for you? Verse 39, verse 40, they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. And we're told, at to last, that Barabbas was a robber. There's a footnote in the ESV, if you follow it down to the to the margin. It says we're an insurrectionist. And that's the irony. You know, John John is full of irony. The irony is Jesus is being charged for insurrection he didn't commit. And they're letting go a true insurrectionist who had committed murder and robbery and everything else. So what is all of this about? Um what it's about is thinking that we can go through life disconnected, that we can think we go through life disconnected, serving and living for, living, living for God through our own means. If you look at what's happening here, what's going on here, these chief priests, these, these uh, uh, scribes and people worried about defiling themselves by entering into uh, a Gentile court, yet the whole time pushing back against Jesus. And they cry out Barabbas when they're given the choice. You know, the psalmist, as I wrap this up, the psalmist says this. He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The only way to heaven, there's only one way to heaven. It's through Christ Jesus. But how does that work? It works this way as we turn from a life that is pushing against Jesus toward a life that is with Jesus. The the chief priests had their prayers. The chief priests had their psalms memorized. The chief priests had their duties in the temple. The chief priests were as religious as any person you could possibly find, but they were not heaven-bound. They were not heaven-bound. Belief in Jesus Christ means that we are surrendering to Jesus. It means that we are turning from a life of sin. It means that he is now Lord of our lives, doesn't it? And a choice is given, Jesus or Barabbas. And that choice is still on the table today as we, as we think about it. The choice is given to every human being. Shall it be Jesus or shall it be someone else? And the psalmist says today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Does that make sense? Emily says yes, so we'll call with that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we see that in, in, in our lives, Father, there's, there's moments that come to us. This moment that comes to Pilate, we don't know what ultimately comes to Pilate. There's a legend saying that Pilate came to faith. We don't know. That's not for us to know. But we do know that a moment came to Pilate, that Jesus presented a moment before him where he was given the, the choice to choose you or to choose the world. And we see that in this time he chose the world. But Father, you continue to give those moments, and perhaps you're giving that moment to someone who is here this morning. And we don't know that we'll ever get another moment like this. As the old preachers used to say, you can't repent anytime you want. We repent when you, we repent, O Lord, as you come to us. And Father, I pray that perhaps this morning is a moment. And I pray, O Father, that you'll give us grace that we would not pass by that moment, but that we would fully understand what this moment entails. It entails leaving that old life, and it entails following after you. And, Father, we're so thankful for you, Lord. As we're so thankful that you've answered prayer for many, many years. Father, we have, we have prayed, oh Father. We pray for our families. We pray, O oh, Father, for people in the community. We pray, oh Father, for salvation to come. And this morning, Lord, uh, we are looking at the sacrament of baptism, Father. And we're so thankful for that, Father. We're so thankful for the life that you give us. Um, In Christ Jesus, we're thankful for these things in Jesus' precious name, amen.